Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... I love to learn. I think learning is like the food for my, my imagination and curiosity. Learning is sometimes hard. And I want to say that, you know, if you are a learner and you are learning something right now and it feels hard, it is sometimes hard, but I find that the um, payoff is far more worth it. And you will feel um, far more pleased with yourself, you know, once you get over that um, learning curve. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. Today, I talk with Rodin Wint. Rodin was born and raised in the Caribbean where she studied biology and served as a high school teacher for three years. After her applications to several graduate schools kept getting rejected, she decided to take a machine learning online course and teach herself how to code while she was still in Jamaica. Her perseverance and commitment to building skills paid off when she was finally accepted by UC Merced in California, where she is currently pursuing her PhD in genomics. Together we unpack her learning journey and growing passion for research. Rodin shares how she continues to leverage online learning platforms to develop essential skills for the future of work. She also talks about the importance of communication and writing skills to help her cultivate meaningful network connections. She wants to inspire and guide youth to make decisions about what to learn and how to future-proof their skills in our fast-paced technological era. An inspiring conversation with a deep learner. Let's dive right in. Hey, Rodin, welcome to Impact Learning. Hi, Maria. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Rodin, uh, you and I met a little while ago on LinkedIn. Do you remember when? Right. So, uh, so we met in the fall of 2017. That's when I had recently started a graduate school in the United States. Okay, so before we start, we talk about the life in the United States and all the, all the studies and everything you are doing. Where were you born and what is a favorite childhood memory you have? Right, so I was born in Jamaica, so I'm from the Caribbean, and I was born on the um, vibrant coastal town of um, Ochoreos, right? So I have very good memories growing up. I had the, the um, beach in the background and the sun and fruit trees. So one of my favorite memories, there's a lot. Well, I used to enjoy um, climbing. So there was this almond tree in the backyard <laughs> and I would climb the um, tree 
And on the first try, I climbed it. Then I got stuck because when I looked down, I was afraid to actually climb down because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fall. And so I stayed in the top of the tree for maybe a few a few minutes and um, I could see all the boats and ships on the Caribbean Sea and then I climbed down. So for some reason I love that memory because I think it taught me like how to take risk and that when I'm stuck at some point you know I'll climb down, I'll get unstuck. Very nice, very nice. Thank you for sharing. Uh, what was the thinking about learning in your family? Right. My parents, we, they took learning and um, education very seriously. So I grew up with my mom and my dad and my three siblings. So two older brothers and an older um, sister. And even though neither of my parents, they were able to, to um, finish high school, we grew up with the expectation that we should at least earn a college degree, right? Mm-hmm. And so they would um, sacrifice for us to uh, receive a good education. For example, uh, my parents would have us uh, attend the better performing yet far away high schools which would you know cost more in terms of uh, transportation than to like have us uh, attend lower performing but closer high schools so so that's how they treated uh, learning it was expected of us to do well and we were afraid to underperform <laughs> well, <laughs> when it comes to grades yeah <laughs> okay uh, but did you enjoy learning and what was your favorite subject to study. Right, right. So I, I actually enjoyed uh, learning. So, so my first memory of um, learning, it's when I was learning how to spell words, maybe like at age three. And my mom, she would sing, sing the spelling of the word for me. Mm-hmm. And I would sing back. And that's how I, that's how I learned to um, learn. So I found it fun. And um, my favorite subjects, well, I liked, I liked to read a lot, actually. I used to enjoy science because we got to do um, experiments. Mm-hmm. But I also enjoyed world history and um, geography because I lived on the coast of the island. And so the um, horizon was always in view. And I was always curious about what's beyond the horizon. So I think uh, world history books and books on geography, those books gave me a glimpse of the world, you know, beyond. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what did you decide to study uh, at the university? So I was a biology major in undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I chose that because I performed really well in science in high school. My scores were um, excellent. And at that time, everyone was saying, okay, you should become a medical doctor, right? Because that's what they say when you do well in um, science. 
uh, you become a doctor or a nurse or a science teacher. So I wanted to become a uh, doctor. So I pursued uh, biology as my major in undergrad. Very good. And did you enjoy learning about biology throughout the university? Yes, yes, I did actually. I enjoyed the um, lab aspects, so doing experiments, doing dissections. I didn't enjoy the um, drawing aspect as much. So we had to draw different samples and organs and cells and be very accurate. So I wasn't a good artist, but I enjoyed just um, learning about how living um, systems work. I mean, there's so much complexity, but yet there are so many similarities as well. And, you know, we're, and I learned that, you know, we're not all that different in terms of biology. So I enjoyed that, that uh, aspect as well. And I also enjoyed research. Okay. And uh, during the university, you won the third place for the International Business Model Canvas competition. Yes. Uh, can you tell us about this experience and what did you learn during this competition? Right. So the business model canvas, it's a global contest that um, targets um, undergraduate students at different uh, universities across the world. So there are three levels, right? There is the regionals, then there is the uh, national, and then if you move on, you compete in the international uh, level. Right. Mm -hmm. So my team, we came third place at the uh, national um, level. How I started that team was that in my third year, I took microbiology. Right. And I learned that that on bacteria that they can't metabolize or degrade um, agar. So um, agar is like a gel. Right. And it's made by seaweed. And then in my fourth year, I had this idea that what if we could store uh, perishable fruits in agar since, since the majority of um, food spoilage is caused by bacteria. And then, so I rounded up my friends. We were all um, STEM majors. No one had a business background. <laughs> and this was an entrepreneurship um, contest. So we learned a lot, right? Um, during the five months of that um, program, I learned how to start a startup, essentially. It emphasized going out in the field and doing like feasibility um, studies and understanding your um, prospective market base and using their business um, canvas as a tool. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty enlightening. And I also learned that success is a team sport. You know, there's the individual component, but there's also the team component as well. So I learned the importance of having diversity of like skills and um, talents and perspectives as well. Mm -hmm. So while synergy is important, you know, for a team, we should also ensure that everyone, they don't think the same or have the same perspectives. I learned a lot, yeah. 
So after you graduated, you became a teacher. Why, why did you decide to teach? That's a good question. So my reasons were um, twofold, I think. So at first, right, I wanted to work for a while and then save for medical school because I was certain that I would become a medical doctor. And the other reason is that um, at the time, my mom was very ill and she needed surgery. And although we do have free health care back home, it's a long waiting list. So it would be um, faster if I, you know, worked and saved and paid for her surgery. So those were my two reasons as well, because even though I had the idea that I wanted to become a doctor, by the time I did that um, business contest, I started liking research more. So I thought that I would take time off from studying and like figure out exactly what will be my next step. Okay, makes sense. I understand. So you needed more space and more time to figure out exactly what you wanted. But also at the same time, you had some, uh, let's say, financial reasons and life-related reasons with your mom that you you needed. And you chose that. Makes sense. Okay. What what did you learn uh, during the time that you were a teacher? Oh, great question. So I taught for three years at my old high school. So... That was fun because it happened that the students that were in um, seventh grade when I was in um, 11th grade, because high schools back home, they go from uh, seventh to 11th grade. Mm -hmm. So the students I left in um, seventh grade, they were the ones I was teaching in 12th grade. And so they were like, oh, Randy. And I'm like, no, Miss Wint, because I'm your teacher. So that was, <laughs> that was interesting, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm really glad I took that pause and entered um, teaching because I think I became more of an adult because it is a serious uh, occupation. Like the um, life and future of my students are in my hands up to a certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't just working for myself and my family. I was not working for them as well. So I learned things like, you know, time management. Um, I think I became more patient as well as a person because there were different types of learners Right. I mean, I was always the um, fast learner, the one who did really well all the time. But now I had to teach girls because I taught at an all girls high school. I had to teach girls who were at different stages. Right. And that challenged me to um, diversify how I approach um, learning. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a great experience and it has proven useful as well, even though I'm no longer a full-time teacher. Mm-hmm. Was uh, learning patience and also being more empathetic, because uh, that's also part of it, again, because we all have different learning styles and also intellectual capability to process information. Was that the most challenging part, or did you also encounter another challenge as a teacher? Right, so that was 
challenging as part because I had to write um, lesson plans and in um, designing my lessons, I had to make sure I was catering to the, to the um, different learning styles as much as possible because of course a class only lasts for like an hour and a half. Right, so I so I made sure to do that. It's extra work, but it does pay off in terms of you know every student or most students they feel like they're learning outcomes were met, right, and they felt seen as well mm-hmm. because I had even though I was a science teacher, you know I had um, students who were really great at arts, right. So I would give um, assignments like that would say, okay, explain this particular process or um, concept using, say, drama or a song or a poem. And I saw students who did really well at that. Whereas some students, you know, you just uh, give them a test and they will do well, right? But at the end of the day, I gave everyone a chance to actually get good grades. Another challenge, I think, was funding because I taught science, I taught labs, and our lab, we needed more equipment. So I had to improvise a lot during experiments, right? I mean, sometimes I would make my own stuff because in Jamaica, in high school, you have to do a lab component along with your external exams, right? So you have to do it to enter college. So that was also a struggle as well. But, you know, I got through it. I improvised. I reached out to other labs at at, um, other schools. And sometimes I did labs there off-site. And it um, worked out. So it sounds you figured out how to get resources, how to get uh, what you needed to do. And also you were customizing quite a bit what you were, uh, let's say, teaching, but also the tests. So people with uh, more, let's say, affinity towards arts, they would also develop uh, their skills. So you were doing a lot of what we call personalization and customization. Right. Because I believe that everyone can learn, but we all don't learn the um, same way. And that became very evident as a teacher because, I mean, I learned how I learned, right? But then when it came to me being a teacher, I had to cater to uh, different styles of learners. And, you know, I had to like come out of my own bubble and say, okay, not everyone learns like how I do, you know, and how do I ensure that my students' needs are met? So now you stayed, uh, you were a teacher for three years and then you decided to start your PhD. So what kind of decision did you make during this time? Right, right. So what happened was that I remember, I think after the first year of teaching, I realized that I did not want to pursue medicine. Why is that? Well, I realized that I get social exhaustion. So having taught for an entire day, and um, I, w- I would interact with um, students, you know, 40, 30 students per class. I realized that, hmm, if I do become a physician, I would probably be um, 
interacting with way more patients, right? So that's one thing. And then two is that I realized that, you know, of all the aspects of teaching, I enjoy doing experiments with my students and they enjoy it as well. You know, they really loved me for that because they got to do cool things. So I realized that I wanted to do um, research. So I applied for grad programs in, in um, Germany because it was free. And, you know, um, German, they have excellent um, research centers. And I would hear silence or I would hear no. So I would try for like Germany and uh, um, Canada and the US and I would hear silence mostly. So they would not respond to my email or I would hear no. And I was depressed for a while because I felt as if, okay, even though I like teaching, I know that that's not what I wanted to um, do. So after I got over, you know, my slump, I um, decided why not do what I can to improve my application profile. So I started to like take online courses. I started to read more about, you know, research and what skills are expected for entering um, grad school. And I started to just prepare more seriously to um, embark on a PhD program. Okay. And how did you figure out, uh, first of all, let me ask, how many, let's say, applications did you send and how many <laughs> rejections did you get? Are we talking about five? Are we talking about a hundred? I just want to have an idea. <laughs> That's really good, right? So, okay. So for those who are uh, listening and they may be um, considering to apply for grad school, what you do is that um, you first reach out to the faculty who is in charge of the lab that, that you want to work in, right? So who, who will be your um, advisor? So I would do that. And I would also uh, apply to um, programs where they say, okay, just apply and then we will assign you an advisor. And I would say maybe around, I think over 50 okay. between emails and uh, um, applications, I think over 50 and that, at the time, it really hurt because I was like, maybe I'm not, uh, um, you know, fit or uh, good enough yeah. to become a scientist. So, yeah. okay. So now you decided that uh, you wanted to strengthen your application and yes. then you basically start designing what I call your learning journey and preparing for these applications. What type of uh, skills did you want to put on your application? What did you focus on? So after... Um, experiencing so many uh, rejections, I started to um, question, okay, what am I lacking? Mm -hmm. So I read some more about, okay, what's expected of a um, good or a strong uh, application. And it was research skills. So in undergrad, I did labs. Comparatively though, I don't think I had as strong or rich research um, experience as maybe other um, applicants, especially if they were from like Europe or um, Canada or uh, America, you know, like more uh, developed countries. So I say, okay, okay, how can I gain research experience, right? How can I gain the um, skills 
that are in demand or favored in the field I want to go into. So I applied for uh, genomics programs. So I was like, okay, what skills are emphasized or favored, right? So I did that. Then I wrote down, okay, which skills am I able to learn while being a full-time teacher versus which skills I wouldn't be able to learn because I have to know, okay, what's in my control and what's not in my control. And then I focused my, my um, energy on the areas I could improve upon, right? So I took online courses. There was this really great online course offered by Johns Hopkins on Coursera. So Coursera is a platform that, that um, offers free, free or really cheap online courses from um, different institutions around the world. And they had a course called Data Science for Genomics. And I thought, hey, that would be a good course to um, learn about my field and to gain the uh, knowledge and, and uh, expertise I would need to strengthen my profile. So it does take planning, right? Okay. Applying for my PhD, it took two years of planning. Okay, I understand. Okay, okay, that was one course. Any other course before we continue? Right. So I took that. So I uh, I, I took courses on like stats and probability, mm-hmm. and then I found a course on machine learning. I had no idea at the time what that was. It sounded interesting. It was a non-science course, so it was mostly on um, business or IT focused. But I saw it as a um, hobby, actually. I wanted to learn something that's like non-science and it became a hobby until I realized that, okay, it does have, it is useful in science. Very good, okay. So after all this preparation and the online courses and building skills and your application, which, uh, which grad school uh, did you get accepted? So I took the um, GRE exam. So that's the exam that most grad programs require to um, enter in, along with other things as well. So I applied to the University of uh, California. So uh, UC Merced, the UC system is like the top public research system in the world. And they have 10 campuses across the um, state. So I applied to the Merced campus. And I also applied to Queen Mary's University of London. I got through for both programs, but I chose UC Merced because I liked the um, research. I reached out to my prospective advisors Mm -hmm. and he replied and he's like, yeah, you should apply. And that was very encouraging. And I did that because I'm going into the field of uh, genomics and, you know, California is at the hub of uh, biotech, right, okay. and genomics research. So it was a good location as well, aside from, you know, the um, high quality research that's being um, done there. And it was also one of the more affordable UC campuses because it's in central California, so it's not that expensive. For those who are not familiar with genomics, what is it? All right, thank you. Right, so 
um, genomics, it's the um, study of genes and the function of genes, okay? And genes are made from DNA and every, every uh, living thing has DNA because um, DNA is like the blueprint of life, right? Mm -hmm. So I study how genes work and how they function and also to what happens when genes do not function as they should, like in um, cancers or tumors as well. Is this your focus for your work to, let's say, study what I would describe as abnormalities? It's not a focus per se. So my focus is more of basic science. So I'm studying how the lifespan of a gene, because genes are turned on and turned off, right? Mm -hmm. And some genes are turned on longer than some, and some genes are never turned on. So I study how the length of time a gene is turned on, how does that affect brain development, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at both um, normal cases, as you said, but also in the case of um, tumors, do we see a difference in which genes are turned on or turned off or even the uh, length of time for which they are turned on between a normal brain and a tumorous brain? Thank you for explaining that. In addition to the basic research that you are doing, do you have an example of uh, how the, the result uh, of the research you are, you are doing, how it can be used, uh, I don't know, to better our life? With tumors, perhaps we can understand, but maybe, maybe an example in real life that we can apply the learnings of your research. Okay, good, good. That, that is a very... Good question, because of course, I mean, like, I do research because I want my work to have impact on, you know, helping uh, humanity, if not in the short term, then in the uh, long term. So one application of my research would be that in the brain, in the case of Alzheimer's, for example, one of the causes of Alzheimer's or um, dementia is that proteins are not made properly and proteins are actually made from genes so genes make proteins right but we still don't quite know what are all the causes you know or reasons why proteins aren't made well we still don't know so my research would help to address that i would be um contributing to one more reason why um, proteins in certain brain uh, diseases aren't made well. Okay, I understand it. Okay, and, and, it, and it comes down to how the genes function. Right, right. And um, also to like, if we can identify which genes are turned on and off between say a normal brain and a brain with tumors, then we can then design drugs that target those differences. So you mentioned already that you want to have uh, impact with your work. That's why you are doing on humanity. Yes. Um, so what is now, what is, if, if you know already, if you don't know, it's okay to say I'm thinking about it, but yeah. I'm wondering, do you already know what kind of work you want to do after you graduate? <laughs> That's a, <laughs> I'm still figuring out 
what kind of work I want to do. Because as a PhD student, there are different paths I can take. So I can stay in academia and still do research, right? And also teach as well. Or I could do research at a government lab or a government-sponsored research institute. Or I could work for um, um, industry. So I'm not sure yet where I want to work, but I do know that, you know, wherever I choose to work after that, I still want to do um, research and, you know, I value work that's meaningful. Um, I also value creative flexibility as well. That's one of the things I appreciate about uh, research is that, you know, I'm doing work that hasn't been done by anyone else. And so that gives me room to be um, creative, to um, try new things, not knowing if they'll work or not. So that's exciting. But I'm not that certain exactly, you know, where, where I want to work or what kind of work. But I do want to do more research. Mm-hmm. I understand. And I think that's absolutely okay to take your time to, to consider what uh, kind of work and environment that you want to work in. I do have a question, though, now. As you are th- exploring, let's say, different options, they also require different knowledge, experience, research experience, but also other skills. Uh, so uh, during your uh, graduate work, are you also building other skills? Do you continue to learn machine learning? Do you, con- do you take other courses? How are you building further skills to prepare yourself for the future? Right. So what I do is that, okay, so we gain experience by doing, right? So last summer, I actually did an uh, internship at a uh, government lab. So it's a joint genome institute mm-hmm. in um, Berkeley, right? So I did that and that exposed me to the kind of work and the kind of um, environment I may work in if I choose that path. And I encourage um, students, you know, that it's okay to not be sure of, you know, what you want to do. But what helps is that you try to expose yourself to the um, options that you have in mind. So internships are one way of um, doing that. In terms of skills, I mean, I mean I, I'm always learning. I love to learn, right? I find learning as a hobby. I'm still learning about like machine learning because I realize that it has you know, great um, potential for my field of um, genomics. I even used that during my um, internship. So even though I didn't formally um, study machine learning, I took online courses, I learned on my own time. And one of the reasons I got the internship was that I knew both machine learning and biology. So it is good to, to not just know your own field, but to expose yourself to other skills as well. Very good. So, Rodin, again, for those who are not familiar with what machine learning is, and and also, as you said at the beginning, when you took the first uh, course, you did not also know exactly what it is. No idea. So how, <laughs> yes, exactly. So between then and now that you have studied that a lot and uh, you, you've done also your uh, internship, so how do you describe machine learning, perhaps in the biology context or in any other way so we can understand what it is 
is that uh, you are learning? Right. So machine learning, it's a recent, well, it's not quite, it's not that recent, but it's an explosive field right now. So it involves using computer algorithms to learn from data. So we uh, give it data and it learns the patterns that explain your data, mm -hmm. right? And then by learning the um, patterns that explain your data, can we make a prediction about new data, right? So for example, in my work, like, uh, one of my side projects that I'm still doing with the Joint Genome Institute, so that's funded by the US Department of Energy, is that I apply machine learning, you know, these, these um, algorithms to learn about the um, patterns of how different fungi, um, fungus, how they make their proteins. Because genes make proteins and fungi, they make very useful proteins. Like for example, there are fungal species that produce proteins that can turn plant material into um, biomass. So if we learn about how they make their proteins, then um, scientists in the lab, we can engineer their proteins and do like, you know, mass production of um, biofuels. So um, it's really about using algorithms to learn uh, patterns about your data and then to try to make predictions about new data. It is used in other uh, industries as well, right? So it's used in business a lot and IT. Um, when you type things into Google, like a search word, Google's auto predict, that's actually a machine learning algorithm. Mm. So it's widely used and it's the, I think it's the future of many industries and not just genomics or um, science. Uh, and do you create these algorithms? And this is part of coding. And how did you learn to code? <laughs> right. So I learned to code. I learned to seriously code around four years ago. I learned to code. And again, I learned how to code online. You were still a teacher in Jamaica. Right. Yes, 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 yes. And I realized that uh, knowing how to program would give me an advantage because even now in grad school, I mean, there are many students who learn how to code when they start grad school, right? And, you know, I follow um, senior scientists on like LinkedIn and science Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I saw a tweet whereby a senior scientist, you know, he says that it's important that um, current biology or uh, chemistry majors who are undergrads, it's important that they learn to code because it is so like intertwined in research right now. So I learned to code in 2015, like four years ago. I had zero background in coding and it was, it was a fun experience actually. And I think my learning journey speaks to the fact that how learning is changing, you know, mm -hmm. in times past, learning was um, confined mostly to a classroom, to a, to actual physical uh, location. But, you know, with the advent of like online learning platforms like Coursera and EDX and other uh, websites, you can learn almost anything you want, right? In a very um, inexpensive way. 
And I also find that um, companies, they are starting to uh, recognize those uh, credentials as well because like I got recruited for Facebook last spring for their machine learning internship and I and I didn't do machine learning at say like Harvard or Stanford I did it online but what I do was that I always try to do projects and then market myself so I have my uh, github account that you can store your code on mm-hmm. you know you you can join a linkedin where you can upload your um, projects and your um credentials there i also uh began a personal blog as well so i write like data science and coding tutorials for other biologists who are interested in learning how to code mm-hmm. as well so um yeah, I would say, you know, if you want to learn something, there's a good chance that there's an online course that's out there that can help you in your journey. Mm-hmm. But also, I like the other two things you do. So the GitHub, which is basically the community with all the people like yourself who are yes. coding. I also uh, did like a quick uh, seminar and I, I got to know what that is. I, I, it's, it's just because I was curious and I wanted to see what it is. And uh, I saw how people basically start from, you know, one code and then they create their own yes. and then they share it with others and all that. So I, ha- I know how it looks like. It's not something that it's, you know, I'm pursuing. Yeah. And then, but also you are blogging and you are sharing your learnings between machine learning, coding, biology and the intersection of that and what you are learning, which is also helpful for yes. others. I can see now that these are uh, definitely things that I did not do and I was always in the STEM field, but these things were not available when I was yes. in grad school, right? So it's, it's, it is changing. What other changes mm-hmm. do you see or what other things do we need? And perhaps for people like in your generation, as students or grad students, what other things are you thinking about when you think, okay, how is my future going to be in 10 years or 30 years? What type of questions are you asking yourself, Rodin? Right. So um, your question, it reminds me of the concept of future-proofing, right? So mm-hmm. uh, future-proofing is, is the um, practice of looking forward and then doing what you can to um, acquire the skills, both soft and hard skills that would prepare you for the future. And I think for my field as well, I think for my field, I would say that if you are a biologist and you're interested in doing research, right, I would say it helps to learn how to write code Right. I would say take um, stats classes and then learn how to um, use coding to do your your um, analysis. Mm-hmm. I would also say that for my generation, things move so fast. Things change so fast and it's sometimes hard to keep up. But I would advise you to really take stock and see where your field is going. Like, for example, as a biologist, mm-hmm. I see that in the next 10 years that the field is is on producing more and more data right Uh, biology it's moving from a purely like experimental science to a sort of like both experimental and data science 
because there is a projection that says that 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 um, biology will be like the highest um, producer of data of all industries but we don't have enough persons who can who has both a uh, domain in say biology and coding so you know that would be my advice for my field of uh, biology okay very good when we look at the future of learning of course you have your perspective from a biology and coding yeah. that you talked about but when we look at the future of learning what do you think is uh, the biggest challenge that you will be facing i think the biggest challenge that we are facing is how do we keep our breast with the skills that are required by the different um, fields and uh, industries as well. And also to, I think for learning, because I think in days past, you know, like online um, courses, they weren't even a thing or they weren't trusted. But now we do see a move where, you know, online courses are a very fast way to um, gain your skills that you need. And also to, there's the um, looming advent of automation mm -hmm. right and you know oftentimes i think about you know what do i need to learn to thrive in light of uh, automation and i think that varies for each field so you know i mean i don't have the answers but i would pose questions like what kind of i would say you know jobs or fields are um, projected to be most um, affected by automation. Mm -hmm. And I'd also say, okay, how quickly can you learn or adjust to um, keep up with the um, landscape of your field or um, occupation? That's how it is um, changing, whereby you have to learn fast and learn quick. Okay, I understand, okay. So now you talk, you look at biology and research from the gene perspective and yes. uh, someone who is not in this field, like myself, I also look at the future in terms of human connections, interactions, the way we work, the way we build relationships. So I look perhaps in terms of skills, I look at what you would say soft skills. I don't think yes. it's, I don't, I don't call them soft skills. I, I think they're essential, but from your experience with uh, other skills like what i call non-technical or non-biology or uh, which other skills do you focus on do you want to strengthen or do you think about right so i one of the skills i'm actively um working on is how to become a more effective um writer and communicator and I think that's a skill that's not going to go anywhere because, you know, how do others know about the work you're doing? How do others see the uh, relevance of the work you're doing, right? They know the um, quality of how you communicate it. Mm -hmm. So I uh, mentioned my blog. I actually write that blog for myself along with other people because the more I write, then the... Uh, better I become. And I also draw uh, inspiration from your LinkedIn blog post as well, you know, because you write almost every day. And if you haven't, you know, follow um, Maria on uh, LinkedIn, you should. She writes gems of wisdom almost every day. And I found that um, 
inspiring. So I work on my writing skills and you only get better by um, doing. So I would say writing and being an um, effective speaker or communicator about your work and uh, also to learning how to how to build meaningful um, networks as well, you know, connection as well. That's also yeah. very important. I should say that that that, that um, social skills and people skills are very important, even as a scientist. Is there one specific thing that you would like to leave your impact on? Or is it the research you're doing right that today is exactly what you want? Or is there something maybe broader in terms of impact you want to, uh, to live on the, in the world? That's a big question. What, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a big question. Um, I want to leave an impact in my field right now, mm-hmm. but I'd also want to leave an uh, impact for the um, younger people who follow me as well in terms of um you know how to learn how to overcome um challenges right how to deal with um rejections and i hope to inspire them by sharing you know my story and um help them so you know, but also my feel as well i would say i want to change the way how we um study genes right i want mm-hmm. to change that for my field because i think my um, project, it's quite um, novel and it's interesting. I think it will be useful in a few years from now, but I also want to, to um, leave an impact with um, younger people because I used to teach young, well, I'm young, I'm not that old, but I, I, but I used to teach younger people and I want to also help them and I love that because, you know, when you share your experience and your guidance um, and your journey with others, then it's you can actually make impact, what I call in the short term or mid term. Yes. Uh, whereas, you know, with the genes, as you talked about, it's maybe they impact. Yes, yes. No. So it could be, it, it could be, it could be good. But also, it, again, it, but it can affect, you know, you can affect two people today, but also you can uh, um, affect 1000 people in 20 years. Right. So it's a different, it's a different scale, but also like time scale and also overall scale. So it can be different things. And I like that you are thinking of both you know, different aspects. I like that. Very good. So, Rodin, we talked about a lot of things and thank you for explaining uh, in, in simple ways that also I can understand uh, everything you are doing. So, before I ask you my last question, is there anything related to your learning journey that you would like to share with us? Okay. Yes. Um, one thing I would like to share is that I love to learn. I think learning is like the food for my my imagination and curiosity and it um, sustains that and learning is sometimes hard and I want to say that you know if you are a learner and you are learning something right now and it feels hard it is sometimes hard but I find that the um, payoff is is far more worth it and you will feel um, far more pleased with yourself you know, once you get over that um, learning curve. I think we all should like be more um, open to learning new things and even learning things outside of your field because aside from all the science and research and and, uh, machine learning, I'm learning German now. I learn like five German words per day because 
it is interesting and it's fun. And I would also say that I think from my learning journey, I think my father, you know, he played a big role because uh, he used to read a lot when I was a child. And, you know, kids, they imitate um, grown-ups around them, whether um, consciously or subconsciously. And I think seeing him always reading, I think I, I, I learned that, okay, reading is something that, that you do in your spare time. So I also want to, to say that, you know, it's good to read our own kids and uh, encourage their uh, learning and their questions. Very good. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Rodin, where can our listeners find you and learn from you? Oh, <laughs> right. So I am on Twitter. So I am on, on social media. So I am at rwinty, R-W-I-N-T-Y. And I also have a WordPress blog at rondinwint.wordpress. My name is pretty unique. So if you search, my name should uh, pop up. And I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So mm-hmm. you can find me there. Feel free to uh, reach out and ask more um, questions because I understand that this podcast, it's limited in time. But, you know, I'm always happy to um, share advice, you know, share um, my experience. Feel free to reach out. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Rodine. That was wonderful. I learned a lot of things. I always learn a lot from you and especially things <laughs> that I, I'm not so familiar with. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> I cannot uh, wait to see what you will do with the great work you are doing and everything you are learning. You are a very uh, deep learner and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maria, again for having me on your podcast and I am inspired by the work that you do and how you approach learning and sharing with such um, passion and zeal. So it's been a pleasure you know, being here and sharing with your uh, listeners as well. I hope you found this episode useful. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, I would appreciate if you would share it with your friends who are interested in the future of learning and work. You could also leave us a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. A new episode of Impact Learning will be published every Thursday. Thanks for listening. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zanidou. Till next time.